0: perfect, everyone ready? (coughs) So we've seen over the last few weeks, we've been in chapter 17, we've seen that God had been talking with Abraham, they'd been having this interaction and God had made a covenant with him. Um, We saw in the first half the covenant it was just to Abraham and then the second half it was about Sarah. Yeah we saw that Abram has had his name changed, he's no longer Abram, he is Abraham, he is the father of many. He was told to circumcise his whole household. All of the males in his household were to be circumcised as a symbol of this covenant. We saw that God had continued to speak to Abraham, first changing the name of Sarah to Sarai, and then reiterating this promise that he'd given to Abraham, now with Sarah included. We saw that Abraham had doubted this and laughed at it. And we saw that he had tried to give Ishmael, put him up instead, saying, oh, the Ishmael might live before you. We know that God stuck to His word. We know that God told Abraham off, and that brings us to today's passage. Here we are in 17, in verse 22. Let me just pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for Your word. I thank you for Your commands, Lord. Lord, I pray that You would help me now. That You give me Your strength and Your spirit. That people wouldn't hear me and see me, but that they would hear You and see You, Lord. That I would fade into the background and that you would become glorified I pray all of these things in Jesus name amen okay verse 22 when he had finished talking to him God went up from Abraham we've seen God talking with Abraham he has been changing names giving signs of covenant and now that is finished the conversation with oh the conversation with Abraham is over and God has gone up um, We often see in the Old Testament that God appears in some form, in some manifestation before these men, before his men of faith. He appeared with Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with them. He said at the Tower of Babel, come, let us go down and confuse their language. Let us go down to them. When he called Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 7, he said, then the Lord appeared to Abram. He appeared to Abraham. I want you to understand here that God interacted differently with these men than he does today. We have the Holy Spirit living in us today. These people did not. So these people interacted with God in a very different understanding to us. It was a much more physical. He'd been talking to Abraham in person, so to speak. We hear of Moses. He talked face to face with him. And this is... is, after this, God goes up, and this isn't like God left Abraham. God is omnipresent, he is everywhere all the time. But this manifestation, this physical form of God, this physical presence that Abraham could talk to, that left, that went up. And so God has made this covenant, He has given its conditions, he has told Abraham to circumcise every, all the men, And now it is left to Abraham. We are left with him solitary, left by himself to fulfill these conditions. Look with me at verse 23. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he circumcised when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Two weeks ago, we had Owen bring us the message on the first 14 verses of this passage, of this chapter. In these verses, we can see that God gave several promises to Abraham but he also gives requirements for the promises. The main requirement is that all the males in Abraham's household should be circumcised. If they're bought as slaves, circumcise them. If they came into Abraham's household from birth, circumcise them. If they're servants that came from Ur or from Haran or from Egypt, circumcise them. From Ishmael, his son, down to the lowest servant. Abraham carries out this command The command of God to the letter, and he does it immediately. As soon as God had gone up from him. Not a week later, not a few days later, but that very day. I often wonder how committed we are to carrying out the word of God. command of God. Immediately. Here's the imminency. Abraham was 99 years old here. It had been almost 25 years since since he had been since he had left Ur with that first talking with God. He left with his family. It had been 13 years since he and Sarah had tried to make a way for the promise to work. It had been 13 years since they had acted faithlessly and tried to help God out. It had been very easy for Abraham to doubt in this moment. We've seen him do it before. It would have been very easy for him to question God and to wait before following the commands of God. But he didn't. Instead, he went that very day, that same day, and circumcised all of the men in his household. The circumcision is not just for the bloodline of Abraham. It's not just for Ishmael and Abraham. It's for all the men didn't matter where they were from if they were part of the household they were circumcised and it may seem like i'm laboring a point here but i need you to see that this is a time when abraham is 100 percent faithful to the word of god throughout our time with abraham we have seen that although he was god's chosen man he was often faithless he wasn't great at doing what god asked him to do when god told him to go to canaan he went up to haran And then eventually he got to Canaan, but then went on to Egypt. He then had to come back and he and Lot had to separate. That wasn't what God wanted. We saw that after several years, his faith waned and Ishmael was the result of that faithlessness. Time and again, and we will continue to see Abraham being a sinful human being, because that is what he was. Just like you and me. He is often faithless to God. Time after time this man who was justified by his faith acted faithlessly. But here it is his faithfulness that motivated him to obey immediately. It is his trust in the promise of God that even when he cannot see the way that God will work he trusts that God will. This is the definition of faith. When we cannot see how God will work in this situation we don't know. We can't even understand it, but we trust that He will. Okay, let's go into chapter 18 and verse one. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran to the tent door to meet them, and bow, ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth. The Lord appeared, there's been a time gap here, it's not the same day. Abraham is still 99 years old, it's not a long time gap, it's maybe only a couple of days or weeks, but there has been a time gap and we start this new interaction, this new episode between God and Abraham. And Here we are given the setting for it, it's that the oaks or terebinths, no one really knows what a terebinth tree is and so they usually translate it as oak we're here at the the Oaks of Mamre we saw in Genesis 13 that this is where he had settled when he and Lot had separated this is where he'd gone to Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham went to the Oaks of Mamre as Abraham is sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day sort of like 12 to three o'clock he's sitting away from the sun in the shade of the tent and he sees three men standing in front of him just there It doesn't say that these men approached him. It doesn't say that they came to him. It says that there were three men standing in front of him. He looked up, there they were. I think this points towards the identity of who these men were. Um, We've already been given the identity of one of the three. Uh, In verse 1 it said, the Lord appeared to him. This is made clearer in um, verse 22 of this chapter where it says the men turned, then the men turned away from there and went to Sodom, but Abram still stood before the Lord. And then when they arrive, we see these two arrive in um, Sodom in chapter 19, verse one, it says, the two angels came. Three men approached the tent Two go to Sodom. The Lord remains with Abraham. Now, this isn't a sermon about Sodom and Gomorrah that is for another week. Um, But these verses do show us who these three men are. One is a theophany, that is a physical experience, a physical appearance of God on earth. It is a pre-incarnate God the Son. Jesus didn't become God when he was born, Jesus was God from eternity past. And so we have these instances here in the Old Testament where we see God the Son appearing to man. This is one of them. And then the other two are angels. We see that when Abraham sees these three men, he runs out and meets them, bowing to the ground. He recognizes that they are greater than he, that they are of higher standing, that they are completely holy, that they are worthy of being exalted. We see elsewhere in Scripture that bowing is a sign, a symbol of respect and honor. We see in Genesis 33, verse three, Jacob bowed himself seven times before his brother Esau. In Genesis 43, 28, it says, um, speaking of Joseph's brothers, they said, your servant, our father is well, he is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. They showed honor and respect. They saw that they were below the status of these men. They were not the same. They were not on an equal playing field. This practice of bowing is still seen in East Asian culture. For example, in China, the custom is when you greet each other, you bow. And the one that is of a lower social standing bows lower than the one of a higher. It is like giving a handshake in this culture. So Abraham here is showing the utmost respect to these men. He's coming in humility. He's going, you are greater than I am. I will bow down before you, I will recognise your authority, recognise you. Look with me at verse 3 and said, O Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. As Abraham is before these three men, he speaks to them saying, O Lord. This word Lord here is the Hebrew word Adonai, well, Adonai, this word means master, Lord. It's used of God as a title and he's used as a representation of his authority and his sovereignty. And it's usually used when he is being addressed. Men do not address him with his name, Yahweh, his holy name. The Jews had a thing about this and they wouldn't actually say his name for fear of blasphemy. That name they see is so holy that if they were to say it in the wrong context, they would fear that they would be damned. And so often in the Bible, when you see Lord, they see Yahweh. It's a Tetragrammaton. it's four letters. But here we have Lord Adonai. It, this word Adonai can also be used of men, of humans, of you and I. Um, when the two angels come to Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot says, my Lords, that is Adonai. Um, it's probably similar to like our Lord of the Manor sort of title, and like Victorian England is the Lord. That's the idea here. And in this instance, when he says Lord, it is singular. He's addressing God alone. Although there are the three men, he is addressing God out of those three. Abraham using this title and then paired with his bowing down, shows that he holds them with great reverence going further and calling himself their servant Abraham was a rich man I'm like he was all the wealth that he gained in Egypt all the wealth that he'd had before that he doesn't just bow down for everyone he doesn't just go I am your servant here we have him bowing down and going I am your servant lord let me serve you We see these um, pre-incarnate Christ, Christophanes, pre-incarnate Christ coming to, to earth, and we see that, that they are always marked with their representation of honour. We always see that, that the people know who they are talking to. We saw this with Hagar in the desert. She goes, my Lord. She said, I have been, I have been seen by the Lord. That's in 16, if you want to have a look there. But it's the messenger of the Lord. Now, Abraham says that he'll bring water for the feet. Throughout the Middle East, for several thousand years, people wore sandals. They didn't wear, like, shoes like we do. They wore sandals. And by wearing these, it meant that their feet got quite mucky. They got quite dirty. They weren't nice. And so one of the jobs for the lowest person in the house, for the lowest servant in the house, was to bring water and wash the feet of their master. We see this practice continued through to the time of Jesus. In John 13, verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Christ did this as a symbol of humility. He did this to mark out that as a Christian, to follow him is to take the place of the lowest servant in the household, the lowest job that you could possibly think, washing all that muck and gunk off people's feet. So walking around the desert all day. Both Abraham and Jesus show us that no matter what we think of ourselves, we should never be so arrogant as to think that we are above any job. To be a Christian is to be a servant of all for the sake of the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians nine nineteen to 23, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though, my, my, though me myself not being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. This attitude of servanthood, To God that we see modeled here by Abraham, by Jesus, by Paul, is one that we should emulate, it's one that we should have. The gospel of Christ is the only way that anyone will be saved. Our main priority as Christians, as those saved from the fire of hell, should be to serve God by propagating his gospel. People are not saved by being made healthy on earth, people are only saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If they do not hear and believe in him for their salvation, they will be damned to hell for eternity. These may sound like harsh words, but that is the truth. That is the long and short of it. I don't want that. No one should want that. And so we should be out there spreading the gospel day by day. This is why we take the position of a servant, so that we can come to them where they are and show them Point them to Christ, to His work on the cross, and to help them understand that without Him they have no way of experiencing eternal life. They have no way of going to heaven, they have no way of coming to Him. Their sin is laid on their own shoulders. Look with me at verse 5, briefly. While I bring, so still Abraham speaking, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. They said, so they said, do as you have said. Back with Abraham now, and as part of showing hospitality to these three, he offers them rest in the shade of the trees. While he goes to prepare bread for them. Abraham is taking the place of the servant. He is serving God and these two are Angels, without regard for his own wealth. He doesn't care what it costs him. He just wants the Lord to stop for a while. Lord, come and sit with me. Sit in the shade of the trees while I serve you. And so they do. They stop. They allow him to serve. They allow him to serve them. And for that, he is favoured. In verse 6, it says... And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sears of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Abraham wastes no time in going about preparing this meal. He quickly goes. He runs fast and tells Sarah, 99 year old man running fast to tell his wife, take three sears of flour. A sear is about um, four kilograms. So let's get get 11 and a half kilograms, 12 12 kilograms of flour and turn it into cakes, turn it into unleavened bread. Then he runs to the herd, still running, 99 year old man, grabs a calf, the choice calf, the best calf in his herd and gives it to one of his servants to have it prepared quickly, to have it roasted. In these cultures, you'd typically have the meat would have been boiled, it would have been in a stew, but this is quick. He doesn't have time to put it into a pot, chop it up, put it in a pot, boil it. No time for that. Stick it on a spike and roast it. Quickly, quickly. Although Abraham said in verse 5, a morsel of bread, it turns out to be a feast. an entire calf, eleven and a half kilograms of bread, best flower it doesn't portray Abraham as a man who is proud and takes the best for himself does it it portrays Abraham as a man who's willing to downplay his actions put on an air of humility as he serves God he said the best that he could offer to these men not the worst he showed hospitality Although this was God, it is an example that we are to follow. It says in Hebrews thirteen two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Imagine that, entertaining angels without knowing it. Inviting someone around to food and you realize, oh, that was an angel that just left my house. Awe striking. So Abraham has made the food, he brings it to the men along with milk and curds, curds are like sour cream, and instead of sitting down to eat with these visitors, he stands at hand to wait. He waits on them. I talked about Ad- Adonai being used of not only God, but also men. Well here God is Lord and Abraham is the butler. God is sitting down to eat with his angels and Abraham is there standing patiently off to the side waiting for their needs. I think this points again to Abraham knowing the identity of these men. He knows that this is the Lord. He knows that these are his angels. He knows that he is serving the Most High in this. He's doing it humbly. Now the attention here will move from these three visitors here and focus on a conversation between Abraham and the Lord. Verse nine, it says, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Throughout this whole interaction, Sarah has not come out to these three visitors. She hasn't come and seen them. She made the bread for them. She helped Abraham, but she never came out and greeted them. Instead, she stays in the tent. She does not enter the stage of the trees. We have like this split view going on. We have Abraham, the Lord and his angels outside the tent under the trees. And then we have Sarah away inside the tent listening in. We have her waiting to see what they will say. Waiting to see what the Lord will say to her husband. And we see that the Lord gives the same promise that he had already given to Abraham. We saw last week that this promise was given to Abraham and there was no new information for him. This wasn't like suddenly, oh, I'm gonna have a son as well now. No, he had had his name changed and was told, you're gonna have a son in a year. So why is there this repetition? Why did God come again to Abraham and say that within a year he and Sarah will have a son? Well, when God gave the promise, it was only to Abraham. Abraham was the only one there when when he was talking with God. And as Stephen said last week, we can see that although Abraham had told Sarah that her name would change, it is evident by these verses that he had not told her about the coming child, he had not told her about the son that was promised. So instead then of letting Sarah be surprised by the son, God comes to Abraham and knowing that Sarah is nearby in the tent, just by the door, he reiterates this promise. He reiterates that they are going to have a son within a year, that after the 24 years of waiting at this point, 25 years it will be fulfilled. They will finally have their son, finally have that promise. Let's keep going to verse 11. It says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? We take a second step back from the narrative, a break from the story and we're given this piece of context. We see here that Abraham and Sarah are both old Sarah would have been 90, almost 90 at this point, and Abraham would have been almost 100. This helps them understand the perspective of where they're coming from. They're at a point in their life where they're just getting on. They're like, we've passed childbearing age, we're not going to any kids now. We're just going to trust the Lord, we live here in Canaan, we've landed the promise. But now they're finally told that they will have the son. Quarter of a century after it was first given. It would not have been easy to believe. We saw last week that when God told Abraham what was going to happen, he laughed. He thought it was crazy that God would give them a son through Sarah and tried to put Ishmael forward. Tried to make the promise come through Ishmael instead. From an earthly perspective, it was easier for God to use Ishmael, who was already there, than to bring another. But God is faithful. God had said what he had said. And so he decides to bring fulfillment of the promise through Sarah. Bring her a son, the child of promise. We saw Abraham laugh last week. Well, now we we have a mirror passage. When Abraham heard it, he laughed, spoke to himself, gave excuses about his age and Sarah's age. Well, now we have Sarah hearing the same promise... The same time frame as Abraham and her response is the same. She laughs, she speaks to herself and gives excuses about her no longer being able to bear children and that Abraham is old. There is a mirror between them. I think you can tell that they've been married for a long time because they're coming more and more like each other. As she's speaking to herself, she questions. She goes, will I have the pleasure Will I have pleasure of having a child? Will I be able to have this newborn of my own? Not one of my servant's kids, but my own. Look at verse 13, which the Lord responds. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Here we can see the omniscient nature of God. He knows everything. So even when Sarah heard and laughed to herself in the tent away from him, he knows exactly what her response was. He knows she doubted and laughed. He knows that she thought through the reasons why it could not happen. But at this point, instead of confronting Sarah with her response, he asks Abraham about it. He talks to the man, to her husband. and goes, why did your wife laugh at that? Why? Why did she laugh at this promise that I've given you? We can see here that the Lord not only knows what Sarah said, but he knows what she meant by her words. When he asks Abraham why Sarah laughed, he interprets her word and he boils down her excuses to the essential point. He knows that she has this thought to be, that this is an impossible task, that there is just no way that this can happen because she is so old, because she's past childbearing age there's just no way it can happen but God is direct he doesn't beat around the bush here he knows what is in the heart of Sarah and so he questions her faith he goes is anything too hard for the Lord is anything too hard for the Lord he's saying do you trust me Sarah have I not been faithful until now I'm the one who created everything do you really think that there is anything I cannot do Notice he doesn't wait for a response. He keeps going, reiterating for the third time this promise. For a t- third time he says that they will have a son within a year. And this promise that had been so long in coming, this promise that had been 25 years, I'm not even 25 years old, this promise that had been coming for 25 years would finally be fulfilled. Finally be fulfilled. Look at me at verse 15. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. I imagine that if you've just had God tell you the sin that you are committing, it's quite sobering. Usually when we are confronted with our wrongdoing, we become defensive or deny our actions. We don't want to be held accountable for something that we know is wrong. Here Sarah responds to the question that is posed to Abraham instead of coming in humble repentance for her actions, instead of repenting for doubting the Lord's ability, she doubles down. She lies to God and tries to cover up her actions. We can see the reason for this. It says that she was afraid. For she was afraid. Her actions are based in fear. She knows that she has just been told exactly what she said to herself by someone that she thought would be out of earshot. Not able to hear it. But in the confrontation of these actions, she now must deal with the reality of being called out for her sin. She tries to deceive the all-knowing God. Because he knows her sin, and that scares her. He knows every single thing that she has done wrong. He knows everything that she said in her heart and in her head and to herself. That scares her. And then finally we see God's response to her. He being omniscient, omnipresent and omnipotent knows the complete truth. Indeed, he is truth, the only source of truth and he knows what she did and spoke. And so he rebukes her saying, no, but you did laugh. In one breath, he both denies her lies, corrects her and ends the conversation. In one breath, He denies her lies, corrects her with the truth, and ends the conversation. And that is the last thing that is said in this episode with Abraham and Sarah and God. In the next verse the attention is turned to Sodom and Gomorrah. There is no chance for Sarah to respond, it is the definitive end, it is the last word, full stop, no more questions. God says this is the truth. You are wrong. Repent for your actions. Repent for your sin. That's the end of it. You don't get another word. That's the end of our passage for today. Let's look at some applications for ourselves. The first is to follow the command of God immediately. We saw right at the beginning of this message that Abraham went and circumcised all of the men in his household immediately after God had told him to. He didn't wait and neither should we. In the Bible, we have many commands of God. We know exactly what he wants us to do. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, and Jesus came to them and said to them, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples in all, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We as believers should be going to all the world, both here in Lincoln and overseas, where there is no one teaching the word of God, and we should be making disciples. Baptizing and teaching the word of God. It's really great here that we have Christianity Explored running. And I really pray that God would bless that ministry and that the people who come to it would believe and be saved. I really do. And I know that Tabea and I are very grateful for the way that you as a church have endeavoured to support us as we go through training and then eventually overseas to preach the gospel, to spread the gospel. But just the two of us will not be able to complete this immense task. The whole world, all nations... As a church, we should be looking for ways that we can contribute to seeing this task completed. We should be looking for ways that we can see the unreached reached immediately. Christ is coming back imminently. We should be looking immediately for ways that we can reach people with the gospel. Jesus didn't just die for the people in the church, he died for all. Find a way this week to share the gospel with someone. We're approaching Easter Christ rose. It's a great time to share the gospel. Take that opportunity. Talk to your next door neighbor. Talk to someone on the street. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Tell them that he died and rose for their sins. My second application is this recognize the authority of God, submit to him and his will. God is the authority. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at some of the names of God. We have had Elohim, the strong one, Yahweh, the continuing one, and El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. God is the one from whom all things come, and we need to remember that. We are all here because we have recognized that Jesus Christ died to take away our sins, or at least I hope so. We've all recognized that Jesus Christ died to take away all our sins. And as part of that, we need to remember the authority that God has over our lives. He has paid for them with his blood, and now we belong to him. We are not our own anymore. We belong to God, and so as we belong to God, we should do what he tells us. Abraham today in our passage recognized who was before him and he took the place of a servant washing his master's feet. He knew that God was so much greater than anything he could possibly bring that he brought his best. He brought his best food made with the fine flour, his best calf and we all see later in the episode when Abraham and Isaac go up to Mount Moriah, that Abraham was so submitted to the will of God that he was willing to sacrifice his son, the son of promise, who he'd waited 25 years for. He was willing to sacrifice him for God because he knew that God was greater. He knew that God could do anything. But even if Isaac died, he was sure that the Lord would resurrect him. He was sure of that and he was submitted to that. This is the attitude that we should have. If God says through his word that something is wrong, then it is. That is the end of it. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. If if God's word says that it is wrong, it is wrong. We need to remember that because it's so easy to go, but it doesn't mean that. But If you look at the context, it says something else. No, if God says something is wrong, then it is wrong. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 17 to 20, "'Brothers, join in imitating me "'and keep your eyes on those who walk "'according to the example you have in us. "'For many of whom I have often told you "'and now tell you even with tears, "'walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. "'Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, "'and they glory in their shame, "'with minds set on earthly things. "'But our citizenship is in heaven, and we, from it, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll just finish it off with this one, one sentence that sort of sums it all up. Set your mind on the things of God, submit to his work, to his word, and seek to do his will. Set your mind on the things of God, submit to his word, and seek to do his will. That is what we should be doing as Christians. That is what we should be believing as Christians. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the treasure that it is. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all here to read it, to understand it, to be blessed by it. Lord, I pray that as we Leave after church today that you would help us all to apply these things. You'd help us all to to make changes in our lives where changes need to happen. I pray that we would submit to your word and seek to your will. And Lord, I look forward to the day when we will see Jesus return. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.